Welcome to another episode of The Riff. Uh, my name's Cameron and I'm joined again today with my friend Dan. Uh, we also have a special guest here, but we will introduce her in a second. But Dan, how are you? Busy week again? Very busy. I'm, I'm getting very busy at the moment. Uh, yeah, I, I walked past your office before. You seem to be like you're under the pump a bit. I'm going on um, parental leave. Oh, really? Soon. Congratulations. So oh, thank you. Thank you. That's great. First or second child? Second, so second. it's not... Not as important. Not as important. No, no. Yeah, I'm just trying to sort of wrap everything up before I before I go and leave. So does your wife listen to the podcast, Dan? Yeah, she's uh, she's an avid listener. Oh, Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Well, how's the marriage going? It's pretty personal. Oh, what do you? I just want to get straight into straight it. into it. What Why do you ask that, well, Cameron? If something was to go wrong, what would you do? What like a divorce or something? Yeah, yeah. What would you do if something like that happened? Oh right. I hope that doesn't happen. I don't know the. Wi-Fi password. <laughs> You'd be stuck I'd out be in all, the all sorts of strife. I'd, I'd probably go and get some advice off Lauren. Off Lauren? Oh, well, as a matter of fact, we have Lauren here today. Hi, guys. Hey, Lauren. Good to have you back. Hey, Lauren. How are you? Yeah, good, good. So, I hear your marriage is going bad. Yeah, so I, so I hear you. So, I'm, I'm here for some, uh, some advice, Lauren. What would happen to, to the kids? Well, it's a good thing you came to me because we're talking about parenting today. So, for the purpose of today, what I want to say in your hypothetical demise of marriage is that we are skipping ahead of all of the pre-court procedures. It's important for anybody who is listening to know that lawyers get involved at a very early stage and there's a lot of things that happen before anybody gets to court. But for this discussion, I'm going to talk to you about what happens when the court's involved and how the court makes orders and what orders and all the rest. In this um, hypothetical, I would have been speaking to you for a while and maybe we've been speaking with my wife's lawyers and, and we can't solve anything. Exactly. So the matter would then proceed to court. Right. Okay. And so what does court entail, Lauren? What, what's Dan in for here? So essentially what happens from there is one party will file an application with the court seeking some form of orders. Another party would file a response seeking their oppositional orders. And we take it from there in the court proceedings. So what, what sort of things are we talking about here? So there's different types of orders the court can make with respect of parenting. One aspect is parental responsibility. So parental responsibility talks about decision-making with respect of the children. And from what I know about the family court's uh, state of mind at this stage is that they try to include both parents in making of the decisions for the children. Is that correct? Yes. So they want the parents to make a decision together and to work together, which is actually why in the legislation it outlines that there is a presumption that parents will have equal shared parental responsibility of the children until they turn 18 years old. What's the presumption, Lauren? So, no matter what happens, when the court comes into the situation, they will presume that parents will have equal shared parental responsibility until the child turns 18. That can only be rebutted on a finding of family violence or if they find that it's just not in the best interest of the child for the parents to have equal shared parental responsibility. So, in most circumstances... Would there be equal shared responsibility or those factors would change the dynamic? In most cases, the court says equal shared parental responsibility presumption applies. So they say we will continue to presume that parties will work together to make a decision. However, there is an ability for the court to say one parent will have 
the day-to-day decision-making covered and for the bigger decisions like health, passports, changes of names, the parties will have to work together. So this is where maybe one parent lives in another state or another country yep. and one party is looking after the child on a day-to-day basis. And so if it was to get to this stage though, there's probably an issue with the parents agreeing on equal Exactly. Responsibility. Exactly. And it's often the matter where parents aren't agreeing in general about anything. So the they need to go to the court to have a third party. Make that determination. Yeah, that's right. Yes. And so I, I understand that the court wants to parents to come together and try and make a mutual decision about the child or the children. But that doesn't necessarily equate to the parents spending equal time with the child or the children. Yeah, that's how I understand it. Do you agree, Lauren? Yeah, that's it. So, equal shared parental responsibility does not mean equal time with the child. Right. So, when the court makes a decision, they almost make a decision on these two separate factors. So, both parents having responsibility of decisions, but also who spends what days or what months with the child. Correct. They're two separate factors. So, parental responsibility is one factor in terms of making an order for the child, and time is a separate factor. Okay, Lauren, so how how do courts determine who spends what time with the children or child? So, at any point in time when the court is making a determination about the child, the court has to determine the best interests of the child. Now, when the court is determining time, they take into account a section called Section 60CC. And this is essentially a list of what the court is to consider when making orders about time. Where's that section 60cc located? At, in the Family Law Act. Oh, right. Okay. And that's a federal act. It is. It? So it governs all Australians. It does. So, Lauren, I had a quick look at section 60cc. It was pretty long. Almost put me to sleep. But the one thing I took from that was something called primary considerations. Yes. So there's the two primary considerations that the court has above all else when making a decision with respect to the children. Now, the first one is the need to protect the child from the risk of exposure to family violence, drug and alcohol, parental incapacity and all of those types of things. The second is the child's right to have a meaningful relationship with both parents. So, most people flip that around and think that the parents have rights. The parents don't have rights. The child has the rights. Oh, wow. So, that's what the court takes into account above all. Yes, Yes, so they're the primary considerations when determining the best interest of the child. And Lauren, I understand there are other things that the court can take into consideration besides that. So there's a number of factors um, that the court can take into account after those primary considerations. There's things like culture. So to determine time and how culture plays into that is, for example, if... uh, the father's side of the family are devout Catholics and they attend mass of a weekend. How are you going to be structuring time? Then there's something like if the parents are very, very volatile, then it's best to structure the time so that changeovers occur at the school rather than in person. I also believe that geographic location would come into a play here in determining the amount of time. Exactly. So if one parent's in Western Australia and one parent's in Sydney, you're obviously not going to be structuring time so that it happened on a weekend. It's going to be 
a chunk of time over a school holiday, for example. Lauren, what about grandparents? Are they factored in at all? Definitely. So it's very common for grandparents to play a very key role in children's lives. So, for example, if it's very common for the children to spend one weekend in the holidays with a paternal grandparent, the court isn't going to want to disrupt that routine that the children have had because they've obviously spent time developing that bond. Right. Yeah, that makes sense, Lauren. So, if anything, what I've learned today is that there is many, many factors, don't you agree, Dan, that goes into making these parenting orders? Absolutely. It is. It's a very difficult uh, determination that I wouldn't want to be in the shoes of any judge. It's very difficult to determine and it really is a matter about ensuring that all of a party's evidence is appropriately put before the court so they can make a determination that is in the best interest of the child. And what's extremely hard um, about this area of law as well is that every matter is different. Yes, every matter is exceptionally different. Lauren, can you tell the listeners how likely is it that a matter would end up in court before a judge? So, very few matters that I see actually end up before the court. Most of them settle and parents can come to an agreement about the long-term arrangement of a child before going to court. Once it gets to court, those that do, it's a very, very, very small amount. I think at the moment the statistic is 5% of matters actually end up at a final hearing before a judge. So in that scenario where you end up at a hearing before a judge, from the from the time you start proceedings in court to the time that you end up before a judge, I mean, how, how long are we talking about here? So from when you file an initiating application, it's normally three months before your first day before a judge. And then time to a final hearing is normally around the three-year range. But I have seen matters that have taken to five to six years. That's ages. It's a long time, and especially when you think that the child is growing up in that time period. That's right. The child might be of an age where circumstances even change. Exactly. Crazy. Crazy stuff. Well, I've learned a lot today, Lauren, but I've just got here hot off the press some questions that some of our listeners have sent through to us. So one of the questions that was asked multiple times actually here is that there seems to be a bias towards mothers in the family court. Is that true? So in my experience, there isn't so much a bias towards mothers. Unfortunately, family violence is something that is regularly seen before the court and there is a lot of authority that the family court has to act cautiously in the face of family violence, which is they should do. They should do if if there's a potential that there is a risk. And I think the statistics at this point in time when we're talking seem to lean towards more women being victims of domestic violence than men. So that's Correct. why we're using them in this example. Correct. Like this. So the court has to act cautiously in the face of family violence. So the court is unlikely to order a significant amount of time to a party who may be a perpetrator of family violence. So unfortunately... It can be the case that parents have to wait a long time before they see a lot of time with their children. Lauren, another question we've got here. What about where where do the kids' views sit in all of this? Or are they sort of, you know, I feel like they they might be seen as a bit of a bargaining chip. But does the judge ever consider their views or hear what they have to say? So, yes, there's uh, multiple mechanisms to enable a child's views to be heard. Uh, so, things like consultations and things like that. But it's very dependent on the child's age. 
the older the child, the more likely they are to be able to communicate their views and actually have the views formed correctly and not based on who bought them a toy. Well, that's good that the, the kids' views can be um, heard. All right. Sorry, Lauren, sorry to interject, but quick question with that question. Does the age of the child come into account? Very much so. So the older the child is, the more likely it is that their view is going to be taken into account. Right, yeah, that makes sense to me. All right, Lauren, well, thank you for your um, your views today and for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, I've, I've learned a lot, Dan, and this area of family law, it, it's not the most fun topic to talk about, is it, Lauren? But unfortunately... It happens in a lot of cases. It is, yeah. It's unfortunate, but it's it's something that we're here, here to help with. Well, that's right. And I like to think that we help make the process a little bit easier. Exactly. So, Lauren, if any listeners out there need some family law advice or assistance, how can they get in contact with you? So, they can get in contact by either just uh, calling our office or sending an email through or we have online inquiries and I'll be more than happy to have a telephone chat or set up a time to meet. All right, great. So you can uh, you can send an email to info at adamslawyers.com.au. All right, that's uh, that's it from us, everyone. So thanks again, and we'll uh, we'll see you next week. See you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.